This morning we're in a series, uh, we've been in a series called A.D., A New Beginning. We're going through the first ten chapters of the book of Acts. And this morning I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 5. We're going to talk about Ananias and Sapphira who owned a piece of property and they sold this property. Is it, what? Tim, use your mic. I, 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 I've got a bad ear. I can't hear you. Ananias and Sapphira, chapter 5. Of the, yeah, yeah. Tom, 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 <laughs> you preached about that a month and a half ago. I know. But, well, don't you, you, well, but, but don't you remember on the Sunday that I preached on that, Neil said in his communion offering or meditation that after 30 days, 90% of what we hear we don't remember anymore. I do not remember anything Neil said, but I do remember Ananias and Sapphira. Well, yeah, well, and, and I said if I change the title of the sermon, I could preach it again 30 days later, and Neil said, yeah. Listen, I don't know about these guys, but I put money in the offering plate for a fresh sermon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you're, so, so you think they remember I, 30 days ago? Well, I can't speak for them, but my memory's not shot. Like <laughs> okay, okay, all right. I'll preach a different sermon, all right? Fair enough? Fair enough. All right, Acts chapter 9. Okay. <laughs> Acts chapter 9, verse 36. In Joppa, there was a, do you remember Ananias and Sapphira, just for the record? Okay, all right, all right, good. That, all right, I feel good. <laughs> I was really kind of hoping you didn't, uh, you know. <laughs> I could preach a lot less sermons. I could write a lot. Well, okay, Acts chapter 9, verse 36. Let's go. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas. Now, Tabitha was her Aramaic name. Dorcas was her Greek name. It's the same name, just in two different languages. Who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upper room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come over at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. The city of Joppa was the main seaport for the Judean landscape. As a matter of fact, it was in Joppa where the timbers had come years before when Solomon's temple was built and the wood was used for that. It was in Joppa that a guy by the name of Jonah bought a ticket to Tarshish because God said, I want you to go preach in Nineveh. And Jonah said, I'm not going to Nineveh to preach. I'm going to leave this area. And it is in Joppa where the apostle Peter has his greatest miracle. And, and in this great story, uh, of, of Tabitha. There are some lessons that you and I can learn that I think are pretty powerful, not only just about this event, but about the way she lived. And I want to leave you with some things that I hope will make a difference in your life, because when I study them out, they make a difference in life. Here's the first one. Serve with a positive spirit. Serve with a positive spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to be around people who have a positive outlook on life. Uh, the people who see the glass half full, not glass half empty, or as in the case of some people who don't even see a glass at all. You know those kind of people that I'm talking about? I like to be around people who are uplifting, who are encouraging. I would rather be an optimist than a pessimist. 
I'd rather be around you as an optimist than a pessimist. I, here's a question. Would people describe you as an optimist or a pessimist? That's a pretty important question to ask. Do, do people see you as positive or negative? Now, it's true the pessimist may be right in the long run, but the optimist has a better time on the journey. I, I like some of these comparisons. Uh, for instance, an optimist created the airplane, a pessimist created the parachute. An optimist blood type is always O positive. A pessimist blood type is always B negative. An optimist sees the donut, a pessimist sees the You are right. My favorite description of an optimist is this. An optimist is the human personification of springtime. I believe that describes Tabitha. I believe it was the way she was raised. I know this is somewhat speculative, but when you look at the way she lived, when you look at the way she served, when you look at the things that she made and gave away, it's hard to see her as being a negative kind of pe person. Negative people generally don't reach out and help others and serve so freely. And I think it all began with the way she was raised. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speculate here a little bit, but the, her name would suggest that her parents had high expectations of her. First of all, the name Tabitha was shared with a princess of Judea who was the mother of a king, King Joash. So she's already given a royal name. What's more, the name Tabitha means gazelle, which in the Hebrew mind this beautiful, graceful animal was associated with loveliness and grace. And so, the name Tabitha meant somebody who was lovely and gracious. Now, we, we don't know what she looked like, but we know how she lived. And she lived with that kind of a beautiful lifestyle, a beautiful service, and with a gracious spirit. And you say, well, you know, names, uh, you know, have meaning today. Yes, but back then, the meaning of a name had a lot more power in a person's life than the meaning of a name does today. I, I'd venture to guess that some of you have a name and you don't even know what the heritage or what that name means. In Bible times, it was important. And you say, well, weren't all Bible names positive names? No, they weren't. Okay, Tabitha is a very beautiful name, but not all ladies were given positive names. Let me give you some examples uh, so you see. The name Mara in the Bible means bitter. How would you like to be named bitter? Leah means wild cow. <laughs> Not too uplifting there. The name Huldah means, means weasel. <laughs> hey, sweetheart, weasel, come over here. No, you know, it just, it just does not have that ring of hope and, and beauty. But Tabitha, loveliness and grace. Now, parents, let me, let me say something to you, and grandparents and brothers and sisters and soon-to-be parents... I think you and I have the responsibility of creating a positive environment in our home so that as our children, grandchildren grow up, they sense this positive beauty that God has instilled in them. I, I, it's true, you don't have to be an encourager, but my goodness, it is a biblical principle that I think is so important. On the good days, maybe the encouragement isn't so necessary, but on the bad days in life, the tough days, the stormy days in life, if you've grown up with encouragement, if you've grown up with a positive spirit and attitude, it will make a great difference. Winston Churchill wrote, a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity, an optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. Your life and how it's lived will often be determined by the spirit in which you live it. 
Tabitha, I believe, had a positive spirit. Be parents and grandparents that build a foundation for your family to grow up in a positive environment. Here's the second thing. Serve with whatever gifts you have. What are your gifts this morning? What talents and abilities do you have? Well, let's define what we mean by gift. A gift or a talent comes as an undeserved and unmerited benefit. Uh, so I look around this room, and I know some of you and your gifts and your talents and your abilities, and I absolutely marvel at who you are. And I marvel at what you get done and what you can do and the skills and the abilities that you have, and I think, wow, that is a terrific talent. Uh, God gifts all of us in different ways, and it is a wonderful thing when God gives us a gift that is to be used for His glory. You see, that's the point. The gifts and the talents that we have are not for our benefit. They are to help others, to serve in His kingdom, and bring glory to God. If I were to ask you this morning, what is our number one purpose in life? The answer for a Christian should be to bring glory and honor to God. And we do that by using what He's given us to the best of our ability to help others and honor Him. Now, I think there's a couple problems when we face uh, these God-given gifts of ours. And the first one is regret, and the second one is conceit. Both of them stem from a very poor attitude on our parts. The first problem is to erroneously conclude that you don't have any talents or abilities. Every once in a while, somebody will come to me and they'll say, you know, God just didn't give me anything I can use. I mean, I don't have any talents. And I want to say, that's not true. I don't believe God leaves any of us giftless. We don't all have the same talents. Sometimes some seem more glorious than others, but I believe God gives all of us a gift that we can use to His honor and in His kingdom. And you say, yeah, but you don't know me. The only things I can do are insignificant and menial. Are you sure about that? I, I mean, what may seem insignificant or menial to you doesn't necessarily mean so to God. Let, let, let me take you to a passage of Scripture in 1 Chronicles chapter 4. In this passage, there's a listing of names, and then in verse 23, at the end of these names, it, it makes this comment. It describes who these guys are. It says, these were the potters, the inhabitants of Natim and Geterah. They lived there with the king for his work. Did you catch that last line? They lived there with the king for his work. Potters were low on the socioeconomic scale, and, and, and for probably good reason. A potter spent his time with his hands in the mud and the clay shaping vessels, sometimes vessels that were used for very common purposes, sometimes beautiful vessels, but they spent their whole time with muddy, clay-stained hands. It was not a glorious kind of position, but it says here that these potters lived with the king and worked for him. The king needed what they could create. You may say, well, that's kind of insignificant work, but not when the king needs it. You see, in the church, we live with the king. The king lives in us, and when he needs what we can do, it's not menial, it's not insignificant, it's glorious. So whatever you do, you do it with the best of your ability because you are serving the king, and it is a privilege to do anything for our king. And please understand, there is a difference between a gift and a fault, okay? Do not excuse your faults as part of your talents. Don't say, I know I'm stubborn and pig-headed and hard to get along with, but hey, those are my gifts. 
Those are not your gifts. Those are your faults. Know the difference. Faults we want to overcome, gifts we want to overflow. Accept the gifts that you have. And if you don't know what your faults are, you ask a spouse or a close friend. They will tell you what your faults are so that you can distinguish them from your gifts. The second attitudinal problem, I think, with gifts is conceit. It's when we look at what we have and say, hey, look at me. Look what I can do. Look who I am. And suddenly we have defeated the very gifts that God has given us. They are not for our personal edification. Our gifts are not about bragging rights. And when we become conceited about our gifts, well, nobody wants to be around us. Nobody wants to embrace what talents we may bring. You see, when we use our gifts, it's, again, for God's glory, not for our own bragging rights. And, and let's be honest. Don't we all at some point in time get just to thinking, hey, we're pretty good at what we do? I mean, every one of us thinks that we're, yeah, we're, this world was pretty lucky to have us here. When I get to that point, when I start thinking, I, you know, I, this, is, this is okay, I'm doing all right, I, all I have to do is remember that physiologically, 75% of the human body is nothing but water and fat. <laughs> so when you start thinking high of yourself, you just remember that three-quarters of you is nothing but water and fat. When I start thinking, I'm pretty good stuff, I just need to remember I'm water and fat. And the fat is gaining on the water, I'm here to tell you. <laughs> okay? So just remember, not, you know, we're really not much. When you look at that, you think, I'm nothing. And you're right. I'm nothing. You're nothing. God is everything. And the gifts that He has given to us are to enable us to make the most of this nothing life, creating something for His glory and for His honor. Uh, I, I, and if you don't know what your gifts are, ask somebody that you love. Sometimes we are blind to our faults. We are also blind to our gifts. They will help you out. Think about what really you are interested. Think what you are passionate about. I've often believed that our gifts and our talents match up with our passions. For instance, seldom do I hear someone say, I just love to teach in the children's department. I just don't like kids. <laughs> you know, the, the, the two don't go together. You will not be a good children's teacher if you don't like kids. If you're not passionate about something, the chances are you won't do well in that area. So, Look at where you're passionate about something and see if that's where God has gifted you with talents. Take a look at Tabitha again. Widows in that day were among the poorest of society. They had no government help. They had no social security. Unless the husband who died left them with enough money to sustain them, they were dependent upon extended family or the community who shared out of their riches with the poor. Now, Tabitha may have had some means. We, we don't know. We just know this. She spent all of her time sewing robes and gowns and garments to help the poor among her. The other widows were her object of service. Use what you have to change the lives of others around you. Like the potters, hers was a somewhat seemingly insignificant gift with needle and thread, but she took that, she used her skilled hands, and with timely stitches and actions, she spoke louder than she could have with her words. Do not discount the labor of your hands. It may be your best expression of service to God. And nine simple New Testament words serve as a marvelous biography for this woman who was always doing good and helping the poor. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you like to be remembered that way? 
who was always doing good. True acts of goodness grow out of one's relationship with Jesus Christ. The phrase, who was always doing good, describes a habitual doing good. This wasn't a one-time flurry of needle and thread where she just stepped up and said, well, I'll do that this time, but don't ask me to sew anymore. No, she was always sewing. She was always creating. She was always giving. She was always doing good. Notice the sorrow of her friends. They gathered around her bed. They were weeping, and they showed Peter when he came up to the room. This is what she could do. This is who she was. We have lost a friend. You see, it was more about the relationship than it was the service, and I'm convinced that service that does not grow out of a relationship with God and a relationship with others will be fairly meaningless in the long run. Do good deeds all the time. Not once in a while. Be known for doing good all the time. Here's why. When you hear somebody said, well, look what he did. I'd have never guessed he'd have done that in a thousand years. Then you know that your life isn't being lived like it ought to be. When you do something good, you want people to say, oh, well, that doesn't surprise me. That's just the kind of person he is. That's just the kind of lady she is. That's when you know you're doing good all the time. Here's the last thing. Serve while you can. There seems to be no warning to Tabitha's death. It wasn't age-related. We don't know if it was disease-related. It was like she was doing well one day, and the next day she had died. There was a, there's a suddenness about this, and there is a sorrow that goes along with this. Uh, as a matter of fact, we don't know how old she, she really was. She may have been a younger lady at this point in time. We just know that it came without warning. So, can I give you some wisdom that grows out of this passage of Scripture. I, I have to remind myself every day about this. I hope you do too. Here, here, here's this. No one knows how much time he or she may have. You don't know. Now, do I have a do list ready for tomorrow morning? I do. I'm expecting to get up tomorrow morning, but I don't have any guarantee of that. I don't have any guarantee of this afternoon. You don't either. We don't know how much time we have. So when you continue to put things off to the future, when you're saying, well, I'll get to that one of these days, or when I retire, or when I get some time, or whatever the reason is, I I'm just telling you, you don't know how much time you have in this world. So make the most of it right now. Don't wait for the perfect moment. There is no such thing. When you leave this world, leave it with no regrets. Leave it having done your best. Here's another thought. Just because you're doing the Lord's work and you're serving Him and you're doing good things doesn't mean you're going to live long in this world. I, every once in a while somebody said, well, I'm a good person. I've been really serving the Lord. I think I'm going to live till I'm about 85, 90, something like that. You don't know that. I know some terrific people who were serving God in ways that you and I don't even begin to compare, and they died young. And I don't know why God didn't intervene. I don't know why God didn't bring healing. I don't know why God didn't protect them. I don't have answers to those questions. I've got a lot more questions than I've got answers about those things. I just know that they didn't survive in this world, but that's because we live in a broken world. There's no equity when it comes to longevity. When you live in a broken world, anything can happen and will because of the power of sin at work. So, don't assume just because you're doing good and you love the Lord, you're going to be around for a long time. That's why making the most of today matters. When all seemed bleakest in Joppa, Peter arrives and God does the miraculous. You know, this is really interesting. I, I don't want you to miss this here. 
Jesus did three resurrections before his own resurrection. And in the first one, he raised the daughter of a, of a, a synagogue ruler whose name was Jairus. And when Jesus gets to Jairus' home, he goes up into an upper room. The little girl is on the bed there. And Jesus prays, sends everybody out of the room, and then he takes the little girl by the hand, and he says, Talitha kum, little girl, arise. When Peter gets there, Tabitha is in an upper room. He goes up, Peter prays, sends everybody out of the room. You see the picture that's happening here? And he reaches over, and he says, Tabitha kum. There's one letter difference between the first miracle of Jesus and the miracle of Peter. Talitha kum, Tabitha kum, and she gets up, and Jesus gives her back to her friends. I believe this is God saying, I want you to know that my son is still alive, and he is now working through his church. The power, the miracles, they're the same. It's the greatest miracle of Peter's life, but the miracle isn't really Peter's. It's the Lord's. He's just working through Peter. And can I remind you that the Lord we serve is still alive today, and he is still working through his church. I'm not suggesting any of us are ever going to raise anybody. I don't think that's going to happen, all right? I'm pretty sure that's never going to happen. But I can tell you this, the power of Christ is still at work in his church, accomplishing great things that impact all eternity. And you say, wow, what a marvelous gift for Tabitha. Are you, are you serious? A gift for Tabitha? This was no gift for Tabitha. I mean, when you get to heaven, where's the last place you want to come back to? Tim Thompson and I were talking in between services, and Tim said, it's kind of like parents taking their kids right to the gate of the magic kingdom. Said, doesn't it look fun in there? We're not going in. <laughs> you know, what parent would do? This is Tabitha. She gets there, and God says, Tabitha, I want you to go back. There's something important you need to do. And so she comes back. And while she is raised, and we don't know how much longer she lived after that, the impact was not on Tabitha. The impact was on the community. It says, and many, many believe in Jesus as the result. That's the power of the miracle. And that's why we continue to do good things, and that's why we continue to do good all the time, so that many will believe. Serve well here, so that there will be people when you get home to heaven that says, because of you, I am here. Be an encourager be an encourager, be positive, use your talents, be happy with what God has given you, and use them now. Don't put it off, don't wait. Our, our nation's civil war was horrific, an event that took place 150 years ago. But there are glimpses of simple heroism and goodness sprinkled throughout the dreadful history of that four years on both sides of that American battle. For instance, during the Battle of Franklin, Tennessee, comes the story of 30-year-old Sergeant Major Robert Bringhurst, who fought for the Confederate 49th Tennessee Regiment. He had been wounded in a previous battle and was still on crutches when he approaches the front lines of the fighting at Franklin. Because of his crutches, he couldn't fight. He couldn't even carry any kind of a weapon. And three times he was ordered to the rear by his commanding officer, General William Quarles, but he just kept coming back. General Quarles looked at him and asked if he hadn't been ordered off the front line, and Bringhurst pleaded to stay. And the general said, but you can't fight. And Bringhurst said, sir, I'll cheer the boys on. And he stayed on the front lines, and he did that all through the day of the Battle of Franklin. His body took 
seven bullets. He died shortly after the battle was over. He spent his life, he sacrificed his life encouraging others to be everything they could be in that moment. I'll cheer the boys on. Every time you do something good, every time you live for Jesus Christ, every time you use the gifts and the talents he's given you, you are cheering the kingdom on. Christian, I don't know what your gifts are, but let me challenge you to spend your life encouraging others in the kingdom to be everything they can be at every moment. You do not know how much time you have, so use it to the fullest right now. Be like Tabitha. Do good always.